I'm honored today to have Miss Phyllis Wozniak. I've had the pleasure of meeting and getting to know her husband for several years now at another church I pastored, got acquainted with him, and uh, just an awesome couple. This is the first time I've got to meet uh, Miss Phyllis in person, but she's in the States for a little while, and so I'm so thankful she had time to come by today to uh, greet us and share about their ministry and, and, and give us a word from the Lord today. But they, if I'm not mistaken, started on the mission field back in the early 80s, if I read that right. And uh, they've served in the Dominican Republic, Peru, and Colombia, at least those three areas, I know. And while there, they've helped develop and start Bible colleges to train pastors and plant churches. So I'm honored that you would come today. My heartbeat today is to reach out to reach the lost, change the world, help the hurting. And this is one way we can participate in that and do that, amen? So I wanna ask Miss Phyllis Wozniak if she would come at this time. And if she comes, would you give her a good Mount Holly Church welcome today? Amen. God bless you, thank you. Thank you, Pastor, and thank God for the joy and the privilege of standing on this beautiful platform, amen? It's a joy to be with you guys here at Mount Holly Church. Um, I am a child of North Carolina, so we're not too far apart there. I am also Southerner um, and grew up in church. My dad was also a pastor and so had the privilege of growing up praising the Lord and, and hearing the Word of God. I have my daughter with me today. She and her two sons decided to come with me, and I'm so happy they did. And she moved back because it was straining her neck to look up from the front row. So I'm not sure where she went, but she was born in the Dominican Republic. And uh, to, on our first, our, we went to the Dominican Republic. I went single and then came back a year later, married my husband, and we went back together. Um, and she was born there. And then her sister was born a couple of years later in the same place. So it's a joy to have her with me also today. And uh, I want to uh, start off with a presentation and just let me look back and make sure it's there. Yes, it's there. Okay. Uh, I want to just walk you through our presentation, let you know who we are, what we're doing, what God's doing in, in our ministry. So if I can step over the side, is that okay, Pastor, so I can see what's going on back there? Okay, my name is Phyllis. My husband's name is Wayne. As the pastor said, the pastor knew my husband, but it's the first time that I've had the privilege to meet your pastors and to be with you guys here at the Mount Holly Church. We are missionaries living in Peru, but we continue to minister in Peru and Colombia. And our ministry, if you'll move on to the next one, is, as the pastor has already stated, with Bible colleges. Our, our Bible colleges are residential programs and uh, the, as you can see, this is the, Bible, the students of the, these are the students of the Bible College in Peru this year. Young men and women from all over the country of Peru, most of them from, from very poor homes and very poor backgrounds, but they have found the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and have followed his call into ministry, and they've come to be trained. And to really, we, we consider it not just a training, but a formation to be Pastors, And then if you move on, you see the Bible college students in, in Colombia. And uh, we continue to, to, you know, lead the school in Colombia, although we've gone back to Peru to work now. We uh, planted the school in Colombia. Um, let's see, when was that? Back in 2009, I believe it was. Okay, we can move on. 
Okay? As I said, it's a residential program, so our students live on campus. They, you can and just flow through these nets through pit, few pictures as I'm talking there. They eat their meals, three meals a day on campus. They have classes, and we pay their teachers. They have, um, we have, well, my husband and I don't take the pay for our classes. That happens to be a class that I'm teaching. But we also, um, you know, they, they have a good library. You can see our library in Peru here, and uh, we actually require the students to spend at least one hour a day in the library, and uh, that's one of the important parts of getting them to read. Um, they haven't had a lot of books in their home. They don't have public libraries in every little town and village like we have here, so sometimes it's just a task just to get them uh, accustomed to reading. Okay, we can move on to the next one. Okay. We think that one of the greatest... Uh, signs of the success of our program uh, is what you see in this picture and in the next picture because these are what we call our Bible college grandchildren. What we, what we mean by that is that the pastors of these young men and women studied in our Bible school, went out and planted churches or took over a pastorate of a, of a church that was without a pastor and won these young people to the Lord, recognized the call of God on their lives, and now have sent them to the Bible school to study. So these are our Bible school uh, grandchildren in Peru. You saw in the previous picture our Bible school grandchildren in Colombia. Every single one of these have been won by previous students and are discipled by previous students and sent to our Bible school by previous students. So we give God thanks for, for this sign of the success of our program. If we can move on to the next one. Okay, we, had, we were able to have graduations last year, finally, uh, after a couple of years of COVID, and, and South America shut down much more than you did here in the States. Uh, so here you can see our graduation ceremony in Colombia, and if you go to the next one, you can see our graduation ceremony in Peru. So we thank God that we're able to graduate. Our, our program is a three-year program. They study for two years, living on campus, having class Monday through Friday from 8 in the morning till 1 o'clock. They have homework. They have assignments, chores to do on campus. So as I said, it's a total formation. They're formed in various areas of their life. And uh, then their third year, they have to go out and do an internship. And they have to be involved in ministry in different parts of the country that we send them to and, and you know, determine whether or not this is what God has really called them to do. So uh, the ones you see graduating are the ones that have fulfilled all of that. Okay, we move on to the next one. Okay, and uh, of our graduating class from last year in Peru, Three churches were planted in Peru, three new churches of God in, in the country of Peru. And I want to tell you just a little bit about, about that. The first one was planted by Anna. And Anna, you would say it in English, okay? She came to the Bible school from Lima. And, and Lima is the capital of Peru. About a third of the population of the country of Peru lives in Lima. So pretty much anybody that lives in Lima never wants to leave Lima because it's where everything is, you know, and, and, but Anna came to the Bible school and she, from the minute she came in, she says, I feel like the Lord wants me to go to Abancay. And Abancay is a city in the mountains, the capital of one of the departments uh, or like states of, of Peru. And she knew that from the time she came in, she trained, she was actually uh, something that rarely happens in our students. She, she won the award for the best academic, you know, um, what do you call it here? Uh, 
average, I can't think of what the word is, but any of the highest grades. And she also won the award for the student with the best testimony. So that's, that's pretty unusual for both of those to come in the same package. Incredible young lady. And she has gone up to the city of Abankai to plant the first church of God in a city of over 300,000 people. So we thank God for Anna. The next picture shows some of her ministry taking place, some of what she's reaching out and, and, and doing in the early stages of her ministry. The next couple that you're going to see are Christian and Wendy, and they came to the, to the Bible school as a couple with one son, the, and then they had a daughter born uh, while they were studying. I'm not sure how that happened, uh, but now they went out as graduates with two small children to plant the first church of God in the city of Piura, which is a city on the northern coast of Colombia, I'm sorry, of Peru, with over 600,000 people. It's a capital of a department. So this is not only the first church of God in the city of Pura. You can go on the next one and see some other pictures there of them in ministry. It's not only the first church of God in this city, it's the first church of God in this state. So uh, again, God is using our students to plant works. I think there's another picture of them in ministry. Christian is a um, graphics designer, and so one of the methods that he has done to reach people has been offering free classes of graphics designing. That's pretty awesome, and he's a very incredible designer. Okay, and here, here we have Percy and Lindsay. They are actually an uncle and a nephew, about the same age, but uh, from the same family, and when they during their internship, and by the way, all of these students started these, these ministries during their internship, and after they graduate, continue these ministries. These two boys came from the mountains, and, and it worked out that they were able to go back up to one of the highest cities or areas of Peru, uh, inhabited areas, on Lake Titicaca. I don't know if you remember hearing that in, when you were in school. It's a lake that's high in the Andes, on the border between Peru and Brazil. I, I'm sorry, Peru and Bolivia. I'm going to get in the right geography here. Between Peru and Bolivia. The island, the, this, the lake has a lot of floating islands, and the natives actually build these islands, okay? So there are reeds that grow on the side all around the lake. They cut these reeds off, they weave them together, throw them in the water, throw more on top of them until it floats, and then they build their house out of the reeds on the same islands. And if you look uh, in this picture here, right over in the corner, the red, oops, go back one, I'm sorry. You can see one of their boats also. The boats are also made out of reed. And so these are Uru Quechua people, and until last year, when Lince and Percy went to plant a church of God, on the islands of Lake Titicaca, these people were an unreached people group. Amen? So that this is not only the first church of God on the islands of Lake Titicaca, this is the first Christian church, the first Christian witness on the, the floating islands of Lake Titicaca. And you can go on to the other picture now and show them, uh, see some more pictures of them ministering on, on the floating islands of Titicaca. And after they graduated, by the way, it's very cold, very cold up on the islands. And, and to have people that are willing to go work there and live in very rustic conditions, and then after they graduate, Percy, um, uh, the, well, the other one. <laughs> okay, that's mean that you're seeing there. Percy was actually offered the, the opportunity to pastor a church in Lima. And, and he prayed about it, and he came to us, and he's like, 
I just don't feel in my heart that that's what God wants me to do. Why am I going to stay here where there is a witness, where there are plenty of churches around, when where I was working, people had not heard the gospel. I want to go back. So he and Lindsay went back to the floating islands, and they continue to do their work there on the floating islands of the lake high in the Andes, okay? Let's go on. Uh, let's see. Move ahead. Um, okay. I want to tell you a few of our long-term results, okay? Those are results from last year. Three churches of God planted in different parts of the country of Peru. I want to tell you some about our long-term results. What re, and what I'm talking about right now is Peru as far as long-term results because what happened is we went to Colombia. We were in Peru for eight years. Then we went to Colombia and spent 12 years, and, and now we're back in Peru. We're going on our fourth year back in Peru. So when we came back to Peru, we were able to find and, and catch up with many students who had studied with us when we were in Peru before. And so I want to tell you some of these long-term results. First of all, we have, I believe, Sara and Maricos coming up. And Sara studied with us. Maricos studied in the Bible school in Ecuador, so my husband calls him a Philistine. A Philistine, you would say, I think. And, but uh, we just joke with them about that. But they are both uh, have gone through Bible college and been prepared for ministry. They're pastoring a, a good-sized church in the city of Puerto Bermudez. And I know these names of cities don't make any difference to you, but it's on a river that one of the tributaries that flows into the Amazon River. And along this river, there are 120 Ashanika villages. Ashanika is an indigenous people group that number, I think, somewhere around 500,000 total in, in, in Peru and in the jungles of Peru. And, and what, what they're doing is they are one by one going out to these villages and trying to reach these people for the Lord, sharing the gospel with them, bringing them to understanding of the gospel, which is not always easy because it's totally, you know, out of what they're, anything in their reality. So then they bring them the realization of what the gospel is and what it means, and then they establish a church in that village. So we were actually there when I actually took this picture. We were there for the establishing of the 20th church in the villages of the Ashanikas, another people group of Peru, by, by Sada and Maricos. So praise the Lord, they've got a good church going in the city, and now they planted 20 other churches among the Ashanika indigenous group. And by the way, I love this picture, and I took it on purpose because not only do you see how everybody dresses to get baptized in Latin America, everybody has to wear white for baptism, but also I bet you've never seen a boat like that go by when you were in a baptismal service, right? Kind of unusual. Okay, we can move on to the next one. And this is Oscar and Adela. Oscar was in one of our first classes when we went to Peru initially, and he came to us just like two or three months out of prison. He had been a bodyguard for one of the drug lords of Peru in the jungles of Peru, and he had finally got caught and got arrested, put in jail, served several years in jail, in prison, and, and there he found Jesus. There he was discipled. He came out of prison and came to the Bible school, okay? And we continued his ministerial formation. He met his wife in one of the local churches where he was working, and, and later they married and went initially into ministry. Actually, he was sent on his internship to a village in the northern part of Peru, uh, and they were married by then. His wife became pregnant, 
and when she was seven and a half months pregnant, they decided that they would travel back to Lima to have the baby because the village was very rustic. So they get on a bus to come to Lima, and it's about a 15, 16-hour trip down the desert coast of Peru where there's not a lot going on uh, because it's desert. And uh, on the bus, on the way, she went into labor. So Oscar realizes that his wife is going into labor, so he stands up, turns around, and addresses everyone on the bus. Does anybody here know how to, how to deliver a baby? Nobody responded, so he asked again, does anybody here know how to deliver a baby? Nobody answered, so, and finally a girl in the back popped up, no, but we'll watch while you do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. So he had to deliver his own child, his, their first son, the young man, the tall one here on, the, on your left with the glasses on, he is now 17 years old, and the funny, one of the funny things about him, my husband has seen his birth certificate. When it says place of birth, it says highway, Pan American Highway, kilometer 204 in front of the Shell Station. <laughs> I bet that's pretty, pretty unique in, in a worldwide scene, uh, his, his birth certificate. He is intending to come to the Bible College also and prepare for ministry. So we praise God for them. We recently had the opportunity to install Oscar in one of the larger churches in Lima as the, as the pastor there. It's, we're not the overseers, but sometimes the overseer gives us the permission to do some pretty cool things like that with our former students, and we thank God for that. And God is really using Oscar. You can see here uh, my husband praying over him in that service where we installed him and his family as the pastors. We can move on to the next one. And this is Alex and his wife, Emma. Alex also was in one of our first classes. He was ex-military and had an onion, um, well, in, in the marketplace there, each one has just like a square, you know. So in his square, he sold onions. That was his business, an onion salesman. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun, right, working with onions all day. But that's what his business was, and he did a lot of drinking, okay, with the money he was able to make from his onions. But another, uh, the pastor of the local church there witnessed to Alex. Alex gave his heart to the Lord and and firmly was, was totally transformed, you know, and left behind his old way of life, began to witness to his friends, met this young lady in the church. They got married, and now they, and then later Alex came to the Bible school and was trained and sent out to ministry. They have, if you move on the next one, you'll see that they have five children. They've been busy. Uh, five children. The three oldest children are all active in ministry. We've watched them, uh, musicians, singers, teachers, just exciting to see these three kids, how active they are in ministry. Their fourth child has extreme autism. And we've also just been impressed by the love of the family, how they take care of him, how they take turns, because he's constantly wanting to move, wanting to run. And so when they're in any public place, in church or anything, somebody has to be holding him, holding his arm, holding his hand, and kind of he's tugging, tugging, tugging the whole time. So the mom will, you know, hold him, tug, tug, tug for a while. One of the children will come by and say, okay, mom, I'll take him for a while. And another one will come by, I'll take him for a while. That's, in, that's impressed us to just see the love of the whole family and how they work together and how much they love their little brother, okay? And we can move on. Alex is now a district pastor. Here he is meeting with some of his pastors. And so you can see that 
these guys are doing well in ministry. They're staying faithful to the Lord and doing well in ministry. We also, the next picture shows us having breakfast with Alex, so we enjoy every opportunity that we have to get to be with our former students and our present students, obviously, and to be able to share with them and see and, and their families and see what God is doing in their lives. We're at that older stage in life where we get to see a lot of results, okay? When you're new on the field, you don't get to see a lot of results. But now we've been on the field for over 30 years, and so we have the joy of seeing our students and the fruit, not just their children, but their fruit in ministry, okay? Well, I think we have a couple of more slides here. Um, first of all, we want to say we appreciate our partnership with Mount Holly Church, the privilege to be here this morning to show you what's going on in Peru and in Colombia and to have you pray with us, pray for us, pray for our ministry, pray for our students, pray for these countries to be saved, amen? Uh, countries, Peru, for example, was the country, if you look at any charts on Google, you'll find that Peru had more deaths per capita uh, by, because of COVID than any other country in the world. So it was one of the country's hardest hit by the COVID, even though we shut down extremely early and they're still wearing two masks in public, and you have to have three vaccinations to go into any buildings, even church, okay? But it's still been one of the country's hardest hit. And you can move on to one more and just say, your support helps two Bible colleges to, to continue to exist. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Do not be foolish, but know what the will of God is. Commentaries tell us that the Greek word that Paul used there when he, when he said foolish was actually a very offensive term. It would be something like if I said to you this morning, you know, and you don't know me, I don't know you. So if I came up here and said, guys, don't be stupid. Know what God's will is. You'd be like, man, who is this lady calling us stupid? You know? Like you'd be off offended by that. But that's what Paul wrote. He wrote something that was offensive to the people, but he was trying to get across to them that not looking to God to find his will is really to be walking in a stupid manner through this life, in a stupid manner through this life. A few years ago, for a, for a period of time, my husband and I and our daughters moved back to the States and we were co-pastors in a large congregation. And um, actually, my brother was the pastor. And so we were co-pastors there. And there was a young man who had been raised in a boy's home and had never really been loved, rejected by his parents, raised in a in, in boy's home of America. And someone ran into him and shared the gospel with him. He came to church. He gave his heart to the Lord. His name was Mark. Mark was so excited about his newfound salvation that he, began, he wanted to be involved in everything. And so Mark was like, man, I want to be in the choir. He tried out for the choir. He made the choir. He had a good voice. He wanted to be in the drama, on the drama team that my husband was leading at that time. He was actually a very good actor, so he got on the drama team. He wanted to be in the, evangel, in the evangelism group. He was one of the most excited evangelists we had. He probably reformed the evangelism group with his newfound excitement in the Lord. And he just, he just wanted to be involved in everything that was going on in the church. And he was. And he was being discipled. He was being formed. And it's just exciting to see what God was doing in Mark's life. 
But what happened is Mark started watching a bigger church on TV, a large church up north. And he was amazed as the camera would flow over the congregation during the service. And Mark began to think, I want to go there and go to that church. And so he started mentioning to different people of the congregation, I want to move up to that large city in the north so I can go to that church. The pastor of the church said, Mark, don't go. You're not formed yet. It's not time. You're only 17 years old. It's not time for you to be moving away from the community that has brought you in that loves you. The associate pastor said, Mark, don't go. My husband was one of three associate pastors. All three associate pastors said, Mark, don't go. I was leading the, the, the singles group. I said, Mark, don't go. Basically, what I want you to understand is every leader of the church spoke into Mark's life and said, Mark, don't do this. It's not time. It's not what God wants for you. But Mark, being so fascinated as the cameras would spread across the people and the good-looking pastor in the expensive suits, decided that he would go north. And he moved to that city, and less than a year later, he was driving down one of the streets of that city and, and went through a gun battle between the police and some bad guys, and the bullet actually went through the door of his car and lodged in Mark's spine, and he was left paralyzed from his neck down at 18 years of age. He was sent to some kind of home for people that can't do anything for himself, where he lay in a bed, unable to do anything except move his face a little bit for the last year of his life. And I have to ask, was that God's will for Mark? And I'm absolutely convinced that was not God's will for this excited young man who loved the Lord so much and was so good at telling others about him. Another church that I worked in when I was a young college student myself, a Bible, Bible seminary student myself, I uh, was working with the youth group, and there was a family of girls in the church. I'm going to tell you their names because you probably don't know them. But it was just kind of funny because all the girls' names started with S-H. So there was Sheena, Sheila, Sharon, and Shirley. Okay, One of the sisters, all of them beautiful girls, they, again, their parents were Christians. They grew up in church. They grew up participating. They, one of the girls played the piano. The other three sang. I mean, they were very involved in the ministry of the church. Uh, and Sharon actually began to teach Sunday school. When she's like 11, 12 years old, she's already teaching the children Sunday school. So here you have you know, kids that grew up in church. Sharon was the one that grew the tallest and became just a beautiful young lady. And one day she's walking down the hallway in the high school and this young man, all cool, leaned back against the wall, you know, and he whistled at her as she walked by. And Sharon kind of glanced over. She saw who he was. She's like, no, I'm not going to pay attention. He's not a Christian. That's what she thought in her mind. No, I can't pay attention. He's not a Christian. But day after day, he would whistle at her. He would say flirty comments to her until finally, you know, day after day, she's like, no, I can't talk to him. He's not a Christian. But then finally one day he broke her down and she listened. She moved close. She entered in conversation and eventually became emotionally involved with this young man until she agreed to marry him. And the young man who was not a Christian 
who supposedly occasionally drunk a beer once in a while with his friends after they got married a few months into the marriage, began to come home drunk and beat his beautiful wife. Two children were born into their marriage, and the dad didn't even have mercy on his kids. He would come home drunk, beat his wife, beat his children. For the next few years, this beautiful young lady, raised in church, was subjected to violence and fear along with her children in their home. And I have to ask, was that God's will for Sharon? Was that the reason that God allowed Sharon to be born into a Christian home and raised in a godly congregation? And I don't believe it was. I don't believe that was God's will for Sharon. And let me tell you one more story. My husband and I eventually began to pastor a Hispanic church in the state of Virginia. And that during that time, we were living in the States. And we had a family in the church from El Salvador. And the father really had a tremendous testimony because he, he had been, you know, a bad guy. He had run away from home. He was living on the streets. And he was sitting on the curb one day out of money. And he saw a fancy car kind of pull up out front. And this lady got out, and she had this kind of like, you know, looked like a gold chain on. And she walked into this building. And he thought, hmm, wonder what kind of building this is. So he looks around. He finds that the sign says it's a church. So he decides that he will follow this lady in, sit behind her. And when she's distracted, he'll rip the necklace off of her neck and run out. So he actually entered in the church with the purpose of stealing but from the, when he got inside, the word of God got a hold of his heart and he ended up going to the altar instead of running out the back door and giving his heart to the Lord. So Esaias got married. He had, they had three sons. And when we met them, their sons were now teenagers. They began to come to our church. They were actively involved. One of his sons was a musician. The other boys were involved in various areas of ministry with the church. We at that time had a church where you had to sit up every week. So they'd come in and help us set up chairs and all that and move, move the sound system. And, you know, they were all involved. Beautiful Christian family. But one Sunday they came to church and after the service, Brother Isaias, Isaiah, came up to my husband and he said, Pastor, we're moving to California. And my husband's like, what? And he's like, we're moving to California. What? Well, my cousin called me yesterday, said they're paying $17 an hour out there. We're moving to California. Or he called me a couple of days ago. We're moving to California. And my husband's like, but have you prayed about this? Oh, Pastor, we're going. Brother, you haven't given the church time to pray about this. No, Pastor, we've got, we're, the truck is loaded. It's out in the parking lot. We're leaving today. And that day, they drove off to California without praying about it, without getting any spiritual counsel about it, without asking anybody else to pray with them about this decision. They moved off to California, moved to the city of Los Angeles, and within a couple of years, two of those sons were involved in gangs, almost forced to be, become members of the gangs, gangs. And a couple of years later, the family was reduced from five to three. And I have to ask, was that God's will for Isaiah's family? And again, I don't think it was. There are some out there that say that everything that happens is God's will, but that's not what the word of God teaches us. We make wrong choices. We make wrong decisions. We walk stupidly, as the Apostle Paul would say it. We act stupid. We make stupid decisions. 
And we have to look at the three stories that I, I just shared with you and ask, what was Mark's mistake? His, was, his mistake was that he did not listen to the counsel of his spiritual leaders, right? And the Bible tells us to obey our spiritual leaders, to, to look up to them, to, to respect them, to honor them, because they are praying over us. They are, are, are wiser than us. They, they have, they're, they're looking to God on our behalf. They're, they're pastoring. They're trying to take care. They're trying to guide our lives to help us to, to follow God's will. What was Sharon's mistake? She simply said, I know it's in the word of God. What, what fellowship does the righteousness have with unrighteousness? What fellowship does Christ have with, with Belial? You know, what, you know, don't be unequally linked. Join together. I know it's in the word of God, but he'll get saved. I know he will. But, you know, it'll work out. And, in, in, you know, arguing with the word of God. That was Sharon's problem. She knew it was in the word of God, but she made a deliberate choice to walk against the word of God, hoping that maybe God would make an exception in her case. We should follow the word of God. We can't hope for exceptions when we're disobedient. What was the mistake that Isaiah and his family made? They made a huge decision without even praying about it. Be not foolish, but know what the will of God is. The Bible tells us in Psalm 37, verse 23, the steps of a righteous man are guided by the Lord. But that righteous man has to be in tune with the Lord. Earlier in that same Psalm, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the petitions of your heart. Amen? But you've got to delight yourself in him. You've got to want to know his will. You've got to be willing to do his will. And I just want to share with you as a congregation, I'm not trying at all in this morning to say, hey, look at me, I did God's will. You guys need to get on board and be missionaries too. No, God didn't call us all to be missionaries. He has different tasks for every one of us to do. But I do want to challenge you, especially the young people here this morning, don't make foolish decisions that will mess up your lives. Listen to your spiritual leaders. Know what God says in his word. Pray about every decision so that God can guide your life and you will know that you know that you know that what you're doing is his will. Often we have people tell us, Oh, you guys, I just, I just, wow, I can't believe you guys are missionaries. That has to be so hard. It's not. It's not. You know why? Because it's God's will. And we have been totally happy in every place that God has sent us. Why? Because God sent us there. And I think it was Billy Graham who once said, the, the will of God will never send you where the grace of God cannot sustain you. We've had God's grace with us everywhere we've been. He's been with us. And if you will walk in God's will, I can, I can assure you from God's word that his grace, his favor will be, be with you. May we, may we 
just have a moment of prayer. And I, I would really, really, really like to encourage the young people this morning, all those young, under, under 40, okay? <laughs> That's still young. You've still, you still got some big decisions ahead in your life. Who will I marry? What, what line of work will I choose? Where will I live? Um, you, you, you know, what job will I take? You still have some, some, what will I study? You still have some huge decisions ahead in your life. And even some of us that are older have some huge decisions ahead in our lives. And I'd just like to invite every one of you to pray this morning and say, God, I want what you want from me. I'm not asking you for money. I'm not asking you for comfort, for my comfort. I'm asking for what you want for me, for my life, for my future. Can we pray? Amen. I'd like to just ask you to, to stand and just pray your own prayer to God. A prayer of surrender. You know, one of my favorite psalms is, I, I surrender all. I surrender all because that's what God calls us to do. Jesus said, take your cross, deny yourself. That's, that's surrendering all. It's not saying, okay, God, I want to work this out where I'm going to be comfortable, where I'm going to have nice things, where that my, you know, my mate's going to be the best-looking guy in town or the best-looking gal in town. No, God just says, give it to me. Give it to me. I often say young people sometimes are afraid to, to yield the decision to God as far as who their mate is going to be because they're afraid God's going to make them marry somebody that's ugly. And they get this idea that God's against them and he's just going to make life hard for them. But Paul wrote in the, in the book of Romans, he said, the will of God is good, acceptable, perfect. Amen? Good, acceptable, perfect. God wants to do good things in your life, not bad things. So will you pray with me this morning and say, God, guide my steps. Lord Jesus, I thank you this morning for the privilege to share with this beautiful congregation and this beautiful church. I thank you, Lord, for your word, the word that guides our steps. Lord, the psalmist wrote that your, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. I've had experiences of walking narrow paths through the Andes Mountains of South America at night after long services with people and with just a little flashlight. Many of them knew the path so well they didn't need light, but they gave me a light. And it was so scary to take that next step until I shined the light because there were huge abysms and, and huge rocks and just a very difficult path. But that light was always showing me where that next step would be secure, where it would be safe. God, help us to look at your word, to trust in your word, and to trust that your will is good, acceptable, and perfect. And God, I pray for every young person here this morning that you would touch their lives. Help them not to make foolish mistakes that Mark made, that Sharon made, that Isaiah made. Father, I pray that you'd help them to make wise decisions. Listen to their spiritual leaders. Listen to your word. Pray about every decision and allow you to guide their steps. I pray for the older people, dear Lord. I know that sometimes as we grow old, there are still big decisions about where am I going to pass my reti retirement? What am I, you know, what's going to be this latter part of my life? Guide their choices. Guide their decisions, dear Lord. 
because we believe, I believe you still want to use us till the day we leave this earth. Guide our steps, Father God. Guide the steps of your people. May their prayer be to allow you to guide their step, to surrender all. Say, God, here I am. Send me, use me, lead me, show me. Do your will in my life. And then, Lord, you be glorified in the results. You, Lord God, receive the glory, the honor, and my praise, and my thanksgiving, Lord God, because I know that you are with me. And when you are with me, then your grace will uphold me. Bless it. Remember here, every, every person here this morning, enrich our lives as we walk with you, Father God, as your word shows that you do. And may you be exalted and give you thanks in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen and amen.